time to get into the Word. So tonight we're going to be in John chapter 17, and we're going to focus in and hopefully lock in on verses 17 through 19 is what we're kind of going to kind of go through. And I, like I had told you last week, I kind of saw uh, what we were doing in John chapter 17, especially right here at kind of verse 17. Um, it's almost like a, a three-part series. So, so last week we were able to drill in on where Jesus said, Jesus said, he's praying to the Father. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So last week we were able to really dig in and really drill in to, to, to where Jesus says, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. In which we, are, we have established that, that God's word isn't just true. But it is truth. Because if it's true, that that means there's a higher standard by which it needs to be measured against. But that's not what he said. He said God's word is truth. Which means that God's word is the highest standard and is the objective truth by which all other truth claims need to be measured against. Amen. So if you're receiving information and you line it up against God's word and, and it contradicts God's word, then you need to toss whatever that information is to the side because it's a lie. God's word is, tr is truth, is the truth. Amen. And so, and so we had even seen that his word. Amen. I appreciate that clap up back there. What? Praise God. And so. And so, and so we had even talked about that, that God's word being truth is just reflective of God's character because we saw in the text where it says that, that God is not a man that he should lie. Amen. And so, and so because, because God is truth and because God cannot lie, then we can have confidence that what he's given to us and revealed to, to us of himself through his word is truth because it is impossible for God to lie. Amen. So I wanted to start there last week because this week I want to get into and kind of try to drill in on verse 17. I promise you we'll get past verse 17 in a little bit. I promise. Praise God. But not tonight. Ha <laughs> ha. And so... And so I want to drill into where he says sanctify them because, A, I knew that I wouldn't have time to do sanctify them justice while really digging into God's word being truth last week. And I want to make sure that we really get a good grasp of what he's talking about here when, he, when Jesus is praying. So he's like, like, Father, I want them to have eternal life. So he's praying for the disciples. And we, he started off in verses 1 through 5. He's like, Lord, I want them. These are the ones that you have given me. I, I want them. I'm praying to them for eternal life. And he says that eternal life is to know God and the one whom he has sent. Amen. So praise God. We can have eternal life through a relationship with God. We can have eternal life with a relationship through Jesus Christ because he's the one that, that connects us back into relationship with the Father, right? And so, and so with that, out of that relationship, we needed to be grounded in God is truth because we will never be who God wants us to be or be about what God wants us to be about if we really don't trust who he is and what he's revealed to us about himself. And so, and so if we're not confident that, that God is true and, the, and if we're not confident that his word is truth, then we will never be we will never be able to fulfill what Jesus is praying. Father, sanctify them in the truth. And so, and so that word sanctify means it refers to God's ongoing work to set his people apart for his purposes, to make them holy as he is holy. 
So to sanctify, Jesus is basically praying. He says, Father, I have come. I've come to glorify you. I'm glorifying you by my death, burial, and resurrection, my ascension into heaven. I'm providing access to you so that they can have eternal life by knowing you through knowing me. Amen. And with that, Lord, we're giving them the truth. We want to provide the truth. We are, we're making sure that, we, that we're revealing everything that they need for life and godliness through the word of God. And we know that the ultimate manifestation of the word of God is through Jesus Christ. And with that, out of the the overflow and the fruit of the relationship that we now have with God through Jesus Christ should be a life that, that is looking more and more like Jesus. Amen. And so, and so when he's saying his prayer is, is God, God, I love, I love these people, these people that you've given me, like my people, the ones that have come to me, that have received me, that have eternal life. Lord, I love them so much that, that I died on the cross for them so that they could have forgiveness of sins and have relationship restored. But I love them so much that I don't want them to stay where they were at in their sin. I want to provide a means for them to be able to get free and to be able to overcome those sins and not be stuck in those sins because it's those sins that have been destructive and have been causing brokenness in their lives. And I love them so much. I don't want them to be broken anymore. I want them to be whole. Amen. And so, all right, I'm going to take a breath on that one. Amen. And so, and so that's what he's getting at. It says, so to sanctify them in, your, in the truth of your word. Sanctify refers to God's ongoing work to set his people apart for his purposes to make them holy as he is holy. All right. So with that, I want to take us, I want to go back to the beginning tonight. Amen. We're going to kick back to and read some verses in Genesis chapter 1. I want to read some verses in Genesis chapter 2. And then we want to read some verses in Genesis chapter 3. So we're, so we're just kind of skimming our, working our way through the first three chapters of Genesis because it's the beginning. And so, and so what we, what we, what it, what we want to see, what I want to try to, by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, what I want to demonstrate is and show that even in the beginning and what's going on with Adam and Eve and in the garden is not so far away from you and me in our day-to-day -day life. Amen. And with that, that there, there, there are practical things that we can pull from that that parallel, that absolutely parallels our experience. And I hope to use that, use that narrative as a means to accomplish showing that A, God's word is truth, which we've already kind of drug, dug into last week, that B, God is good, amen, and that because God is truth and because God is good, then he's worthy of our complete and total trust so that now that we have a relationship with him, the, the, the thrust of our lives should be about pursuing God and recovering his good design and purpose that he has for each and every one of us. 
Amen. So that's our so that's our that's our that's our objective for tonight. So now let's kick back to we'll just get into Genesis chapter one, uh, starting at verse twenty six. I'm not going to read all of chapters one through three because I, I don't want to use up all my time just reading reading the chapters. But but I've just kind of handpicked out some of the verses that'll kind of keep the narrative moving along tonight, and so that we can kind of really just kind of get into uh, what what I'm what I'm seeing and want to extract extract out of the text tonight uh, to help to help bring clarity to us. Amen. So starting at Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27, it says, then God said, so up until this point in Genesis chapter 1, it is, we already know that it says that, that, there, that, the, that everything was formless and void. So before anything was, there was God. God is, right? I am. God was, is, and always will be. Praise God. And so it says that, that, every, that it was formless and void. The Holy Spirit hovered. The Holy Spirit hovered. And when God said, let there be light, there was light. When he said, let there be the expanse or the sky, boom, there was sky. When God said, let the waters be separated between the sky and the, and the earth, boom, it happened. When God said, let, the, let there be land so that the water separated. Now you can see dry land versus water. It happened. God said, let there be creatures. God said, let there be vegetation. God said, God said, God said, God said, boom, it happened, it happened, it happened. And at every point, what was the testimony? God saw what was created and it was good, right? So now we get to, now we get to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then the testimony in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And so then at that point, that's pretty much kind of ends day six. We go into day seven. God has surveyed everything that he's created. The last thing that he said right here, Genesis chapter one, he's looked at everything that he's created. And the culmination of everything that he's created is mankind. Man, male and female, he created them in the image of God. And he looked at everything that he created and behold, it wasn't just good, it was very good. Amen. And so, and so, and so I just want to get that, get that, get that in your mind that, that when God speaks, when God gives us his word, what he brings forth and what he's accomplishing and wants to accomplish through his word is always going to be very good. Amen. All right. Praise God. All right. So with that, so now let's kick over to Genesis chapter 2 and we'll just kind of pick up in verses 8 through 9 because I really want to try to want to get to um, Adam and Eve and what happens with them in the garden. But I want to establish uh, God's goodness first. So that's why I'm just kind of going through these verses so that we can build, 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 build. And then hopefully, boom, we can, we can get our knockout punch later. Mike Tyson's punch out. Amen. The knockout punch with God's word. Praise God. I know that don't sound right, but anybody from the 80s, you know what I mean. Praise God. Awesome. 
Praise. Okay, I got a couple amens out there. I'm taking it. Praise God. 80 babies. Woo. All right. So Genesis chapter 2, we're skipping over. So now he's done created, he's created man, right? So we see that he has man. So by so when we once we get over into Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, he he's we he Eve doesn't exist yet. It's only Adam that exists. And so it says that the Lord God planted a garden, Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So right there so God has created everything, and behold, it was very good. God's created, God's created mankind. Male and female, he has created them. Behold, it is very good. Now he's creating a garden. He's created a garden that he's named Eden, that he's putting the man into, that he's, okay, you know what, this is yours. I'm putting you in charge of this to tend. I'm putting you in charge of this to keep, to guard, to protect, to, to cultivate, to build, to grow. That everything that's in this garden, I'm giving to you. And so, and so we can see it's not explicitly said here, but, but it says that out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So praise God, we even see that, hey, God has specifically made a garden just for man where he's done said, I'm giving you everything that you need because everything that you need right here is good. So you're good. What I'm giving you is good. I'm good. We're good. Everything's good. That's awesome, right? Everything is good. Man, that's, that's awesome. I would love to be there. All right. So, so now we're going to skip down to verses 15 through 17. Praise God. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So up until this point, every time God has given his word, the testimony of that word has been what? It is good. And up until this point, God has given Adam and Eve everything, or at least Adam at this point. He's given them everything. Here's the garden just for you. Here's all the plants and the trees and the fruits and the vegetables, everything that you need. Here it is. It's good. And oh, yeah, here's this one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is the only thing. This is the only instruction that I'm giving you, Adam, that out of everything that I've made, the only thing that you cannot eat of is this tree from the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you eat of the fruit of that tree, surely you will die. So, so he's giving them a restriction. But even the testimony of that restriction is, I'm restricting you from this because that restriction is for your own good. I'm protecting you by setting up that restriction because if you eat from this, it's going to be bad. You don't even know what death is. That's how, that's how fresh they are with God, right? That's how, that's how connected they are with God. They don't even know what death is, but he's letting them know you will die. That is not good. And so I'm telling you to stay away from it because it's for your own good. So even still, I have your best interest at heart. Amen? All right, so even the restriction is good. Praise God. All right, 
So now that gets us to uh, chapter 2, verse 18. All right, so it says, then the Lord God said, okay, okay all right, praise God. I, all right. So I have chapter, verse 18 and then verses 21 through 25 uh, kind of clustered here together. So it says, the Lord God said, verse 18, it is not good. So God found one thing that wasn't good in all of his creation. So let's just find out what that is. The Lord God said, you know what, Adam? It is not good that you are alone. I will make a helper fit for you. And so we know that, man, he brought all of the animals to Adam, and Adam had the job of naming all of the animals. And so he he spends all of this time naming all of the animals, and God looks and he says, you know what, None none of those are fit for you. None of those are fit for you. I haven't found a suitable helper for you. So it says in verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, I love this. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I hope you catch that. The very first thing he said was this at last. God created that woman, brought her to him, and he said at last. So so God didn't need to say it is good. Adam said, it is good, right? Amen. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) So that's where we get woman from because man said, whoa, man. (laughs) All right, I know. All right, I'm sorry. Praise God. All right. So, so. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father, his mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So I wanted to make sure that I read that on purpose because we see that because they have this unbroken fellowship with God, which is good. God has set up all of creation. He's given them a garden. He's given them everything that they need. It's good. He's created them in his own image. It is good. He's created man and woman. And the man has said, it is good, right? He's given them one restriction. Don't eat from the tree of this fruit. And even that's good because it's for your own protection that I'm telling you not to eat from it. And then we see right here that, 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 they can, be, they can be with each other and be naked because at that point where there's no sin, there's no shame and there's no guilt. And so I don't need, so if I have no shame and I have no guilt, then what do I need to hide? The only time I need to hide something is because I've got something I need to keep in the dark. Because I don't want somebody to know about that. So, so even with, with the author, with Moses, the author expressly letting us know that they were naked. He was like, this is how good all of their relationships, the relationships with God and the relationships with each other were, were good. Because they were so good they could be naked and not be ashamed because there was no shame. There was no guilt. And everybody was just flowing on the same page. And it was awesome, right? Praise God. So now we get to Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> Dun, dun, dun. All right, we get to Genesis chapter 3. Now, that's how it starts. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What's he doing? Because remember, we've established that God is truth and God is good. So what is the first thing he comes to the woman and does? Did God actually say? Did he really say that? He's already planting a seed in her mind that God isn't as truthful as you think he is and he's not as good as you think he is. Did he really say? And then not only that, but he twists God's word. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? No, God didn't say that. End of conversation. God said I could eat of every tree of the garden, just not the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He didn't say I couldn't eat of any tree in the garden. But the serpent is slick, right? Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, verse 2, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. All right, let me stop right there. When we read about God's instruction to Adam concerning not eating the, tree, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, did he mention anything about touching it? He didn't mention anything about touching it. God said, if you eat the fruit from the tree. And so right here we see Eve saying, not just eat from the fruit, but if you just touch the fruit from that tree, you're dead. God didn't say that. Now that might be a good guardrail to put up so that you don't go too far, but that wasn't God's word. See how easy it is to get tricked concerning what God has said when we're not really sure what God has said ourselves? Because if we don't have, if we're not sure of God's word, how easy is it for someone or something to slip in there and introduce an untruth into the truth of God and, and get us confused and get us out of our square because we're not, we're not grounded and have enough foundation ourselves in God's word to know that what they're telling us is junk. So, so that's why I wanted to start last week with God is, his word is truth. Because if we're not, if we don't have that as our foundation and if we're not locked into that, All it takes is one, that one thing to come in and get you tricked up and then your whole stuff is done. And praise God, I don't want our stuff to be done. We want to be founded on the rock, right? Because when the wind blows and the storm comes, if we're founded on the rock, who can shake us? Nobody. That's what we want, amen? By God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. I always got to add that in there because it's not by, not by my strength. It's his strength. Praise God. All right. So verse 2, the woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said, verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So now the devil just comes straight out with it and it's like, God is a liar. God told you, you will not die. I'm telling you, you will not die. God is a liar. Wow, okay. But what does he do? He appeals to her pride. 
God's a liar. He knows that when you eat of the fruit of that tree, you won't die. He's lying about that because he doesn't want you to become like him. See, he's speaking to her pride because now it's like, what? So you're trying to tell me instead of being submitted to God, even though he's the creator and I'm the creature, instead of being submitted to God, he's withholding this from me so that now I can be my own God? And so now me and God can be equals? See how he's playing that? He's planting that seed. He's trying to speak to that pride now to try to get her to try to get them to raise up and not be content with the relationship that they had with God, which was good. Now he's trying to do everything that he can to call into question what is good and try to make it seem like it's bad so that he can get them out. Because he's not making her, he's not making Adam and Eve do anything. He didn't cause them to sin. They made the choice to sin. The only thing he did was get the ball rolling. And then once it was rolling, they jumped on the train and just kept on going with it. And so now I came to my destruction out of my own stuff, right? All right, so I'm getting ahead of myself, praise God. But, all right, so God knows when you eat of, so God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, notice that all it says is good for food and that it's fruit. So all these little pictures in the coloring books you see of a nice juicy apple. The Bible don't say nothing about an apple. It's just the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I just want to point that out. You know what I'm saying? Praise God. So, man, she saw like, oh, that's desirable. It looks good. Man, it looks beautiful. So it says the woman saw that the tree, tree was good for food. It was delight to the eyes. The tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I'm just going to go on record right now, Adam is a jerk. Because think about it. The text, and I get we can get into, you know what I'm saying, that he was, how he was with her, whatever. I'm just going by what the text plainly boldface says. She took, saw that the fruit was desirable, took it, ate of it, and it says she gave the fruit to her husband who was with her. So just reading it on face value on the text, it would seem as if Adam is right there watching this whole thing going down, and he's not saying anything. He's not stepping in on anything. He's not correcting anything. And the reason that I say Adam is a jerk is it almost seems as if that he's standing by looking at this whole thing play out, and it's almost kind of like throwing the woman out there, and it's like, yeah, you go ahead and eat it, and I'm going to see if you drop dead. Because if you drop dead, then I'm still good. But, but so let me just see what happens to you first, right? So then she ate it. She's good. She's still alive. I'm not, she's not dead. Okay. Well, if, well, if it came true for her, then it must be good for me too then. Chomp. He threw her under the bus. That's why I said jerk, right? But, but when he ate of it, their eyes were open. 
Why? Because God put more responsibility on the man. Why? Because God, Adam was the one who God directly gave the command to. So it was his responsibility to make sure that his wife knew what the command was because God had spoken it directly to him. And so not only did he step in on her behalf, because he God gave Adam that garden to keep. And if Eve is part of that garden, then he needed to be making sure that he was protecting her as well. And so he completely and totally abdicated his responsibility as the keeper of that garden and the keeper of his and protector of his wife and let her go headlong into it. But God said, you're the one, buddy, that I gave the command to. So, yeah, she ate the fruit. You took of it too. But when he ate it, their eye, then their eyes were open. Because when he ate of it, God said, oh, boom, responsibility, right? And so what did it say they do? So they knew immediately that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together for loincloths. The reason I wanted to point that out, see what just happened? Over here when everything was good, relationship with God, relationship with one another, good. We could be naked, there was no shame. Now all of a sudden they have this fruit. What is that? The guilt and shame has came in. The brokenness of sin has now entered. And so now what they didn't need to cover, now all of a sudden they've got to put in the dark and they've got to hide because anytime there's shame and guilt and brokenness, you want to try to keep it from the light because you don't want nobody to know about it. Right? So check out, so check out verse 8. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. So God, it's not my fault. It's the woman's fault, and ultimately it's your fault because you're the one who gave her to me. And so because she did it, it's her fault, but it's your fault because you gave her to me. It's not my fault, right? So then what what does the woman say? Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Then the woman said, the serpent deceived me, I ate it. So then he gets to the serpent. He don't even care what the serpent has to say. He just says, serpent, you're cursed. Be gone with you, right? And so, so what are we seeing right there? So now we see this guilt, this shame, this brokenness has come in. Now they're trying to sew up fig leaves. They've got to hide. They've got to try to cover because of, because of the sin that's come in. And then notice that no one wants to take responsibility. Part of that shame and part of that hiding and part of that brokenness is deflecting. Oh, it was not my fault that I just jacked that up. It's your fault. Because if you hadn't came at me like that, then I wouldn't have responded like this. It's not my fault. It's your fault. God, it's, I didn't, Lord, I ate of the fruit, but it was the woman you gave me. Oh, well, I, I, deceived, I ate it, but the serpent deceived me. Everybody wanted to pass the buck. And, and, I, and just to let you know, anytime God comes to you and it says, where are you? He's not asking for information. He knows where you are. But what he's doing is, is he's trying to draw us out of the darkness so that we can come into the light and so that we can admit to ourselves and to God where we are. Because then when we get to that place, God can work with us then. Amen. And so, 
And so, so with that, praise God. Man, I got this thing all over the place. Praise God. So then God goes through, and so he gives the curse. So now, okay, the serpent, you're cursed. You, you won't be able to walk, talk, anything like that. You're going to be slithering on the ground on your belly the rest of your life eating dirt. That's you, Satan, or serpent. Be gone. So now with the, with the woman, he says, okay, woman, praise God. Now, so the serpent got cursed. Now the woman also got cursed because her curse was, hey, childbearing, when you have children, it's going to be super duper painful now. There's going to be lots of pain for childbearing. And not only that, there's going to be enmity between you and your husband now. So now the relationship that was good between you and your husband, there's going to be enmity. There's going to be fighting between you now because you're going to want a desire to be in charge. He's going to want to be a desire to be in charge. And so because there's a whole bunch of chiefs, there's not going to be any Indians. And so now, so I get it. That's an old school saying, so I apologize for not being sensitive with that. But y'all know where I'm going with that analogy, right? Amen. Praise God. So, so there's going to be enmity. So, so every, so let's, so I just want to, I'm going through this in detail because I want us to see when God spoke, it was the truth and it was good, 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 very good. When we made the decision to not listen to God and do what God said that was good, what ended up happening? Bad, guilt, shame, cursed, brokenness. What, what, what relationship that was once perfect is now going to be like this. When he talks about death, yes, we know that them partaking of the tree introduced physical death, but more importantly, it introduced spiritual death. And so because of that spiritual death, now the unbroken fellowship that they had with God, now that's been broken. And so, and so it's like, so, so I hope we see with this, when God gives us instruction, when God gives us commands, when he's given us his word, and then there's things that he shows us in his word that maybe we don't line up with, and maybe he's saying, you know what, this is something you need to start doing. Or maybe this is something you need to stop doing. Or, hey, this is an attitude you need to work on. Hey, how you handled that situation and how you talked to that person wasn't the best. God gets in our business. But when he gets in our business, he's not trying to hurt us. When he's getting in our stuff and he's telling us, start, stop, do, don't, work on, change. This needs to, this, like, work this out. Praise God. He has the good design. We saw that when he designed it, it was good, 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 very good. And so, praise God, what he's trying to do is, is get us back in line with his good design by giving us these commands, giving us these instructions. And so we can trust that God is good. We can trust that God is truth so that when he gives us these things, and even if we don't understand what it is, because we can trust that he's good and that he's truthful, praise God, even if I don't understand, I can still trust and I can step out in faith and start endeavoring to follow God and be obedient to him because even though I don't know where it's going to end up, I have a track record of knowing that God is good and he's not going to lead me anywhere that's to my own hurt. 
And how do I know that he's good ultimately? How I know that he's good ultimately is because he has already proven to me that he has my best interest at heart because he's already let Jesus come down here from heaven, walk a sinless, perfect life, be nailed to the cross, take the penalty, the wrath that we deserve for our sin on that cross, was buried, rose on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father so that whoever calls on the name of Jesus, so that whoever believes in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, so that whoever confesses that Jesus is Lord, the Bible promises shall be saved. So, so we don't have a God who takes from us. We have a God who actually has done everything that he can to give to us and make sure that he's revealed himself to us so that we can have his best. Not just here, but for eternity. Because through Jesus, the relationship with God that got busted here in the garden, Jesus through his death on the cross and raising on the third day, praise God, that we can have that relationship with God restored. And so I got ahead of myself because, because down here in verse, um, bah, 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 oh man, where's the, I wanted to read, oh yeah, here it is, verse, verse 21. Because remember that we said that when, as soon as they jacked up, as soon as they ate from the tree, they had that knowledge. Oh, man, we got to hide. So they sewed fig leaves together and they had the loincloth and they were doing all this stuff. And so look at what it says in chapter, two, chapter 3, verse 21. It says, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So here's in essence what God said. Adam and Eve, they sinned. They blamed everybody. So now they have shame, they have guilt, they have brokenness. So what's the first thing that they try to do? They try to fix it. I'm broken now, so I, let me fix it. So let me work out my own, my own little loincloth that I'm trying to f- figure out. So they do that. And then how else do they try to fix it? Oh, I hear God, let me hide. Oh, I, so, so they're trying to work out their plan. But I hope you see that at every stage where they tried to work their plan and they tried to fix their brokenness, all they did was get more broken. And so praise God, praise God that our God sees where we're at. And even when we're hiding from him, our God is the one that walks through the garden and makes sure that he finds us. He comes looking for us. And even though I've tried to work out fixing myself by sewing my own little fig leaves together, God says, that's not good enough. And God is the one who takes care of getting the animal skin and he puts a garment together and he clothes them. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross because Jesus, he died on the cross in place for our sins. And so now we're covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ if we've confessed him as our Lord and Savior. And so because we're covered by him and his righteousness, now we can have fellowship with God. And with all of that in your handout, if you got the handout sheet, on the very last page, there's a diagram that has God's design, brokenness, the gospel, recovering, pursuing God's design. So we see here with Adam, we see this coming full circle that we started with God's design Because of our sin, we enter into brokenness. Now, if you see the the, the diagram, there's squiggly lines coming off of brokenness. The squiggly lines is a fancy way of saying that because we're in our brokenness, we try to sew our fig leaves together. We try to come up with our own plan and fix ourselves. And when we do that, we just get more broken. We never get back to God or his design. 
But through the gospel, because of Jesus, Jesus restores our relationship with God. He covers our sin with his righteousness. He forgives us. He cleanses us. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. And so now through Jesus, we're now enabled and set free to be able to pursue God and recover his good design and purpose for our lives. And if you see that diagram, it's a circle. It's it's not broken. So the beauty of that is, is if you're in Jesus... All things, the old things have passed away. All things have become new. And praise God, while we're, while we're endeavoring to pursue God, while we're endeavoring to recover his good design and purpose for our lives, praise God, we're not going to get it right all the time. But praise God, that circle is unbroken, which is beautiful because what that means is, is that just because we mess up after we're in Christ doesn't mean that God throws us away and he's done with us. The Bible says that, hey, if you mess up, confess your sin. Don't, that's the time not to run and try to hide from God. That's the time to run to God. And because of Jesus and through Jesus, it says we can confess our sin. Don't stay in the darkness. Come to the light. You can confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive. Amen. And praise God. What can we do? Then we can get back up. Okay, God, I fell. I recognize. I need your help. I need your strength. I need your power. Help me to get back up and continue pursuing you and recovering your good design and purpose for my life. And that's the process. That circle is the process for the rest of our lives till we get to heaven. Because on this side of heaven, we're never going to 100% have it. Because as soon as we think we got this one thing locked up, then God's going to let us know that we got, here's this next thing that, oh my gosh, that's worse than the last one, praise God. But God in his mercy knows I can't fix all of them at the same time, because if I did, it'd kill you. Amen. But, but I just want to encourage, but when it said, but when we talk about Jesus is saying, God, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I hope you see that God is truth. His word is truth. God is good. 